0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com.
2: This is Mike Edison, host of Arts, Senses, and Seizures. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carbone from Jimmy's number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. Today is Tuesday, September 13th, 2016. I almost jumped out of my chair because I have quite the lineup of beverage experts from New York City, including one of my favorite Heritage Radio Network hosts, Damon Bolte of the Speakeasy. How are you, man? Come on, jump on the... Uh, yeah, talking. yeah, yeah! All right, man. crazy. And we're, we're, we've got a very special uh, producer of a uh, cherry wine from Denmark, and we're talking about local terroir and you know what they're growing and how that becomes like an an, an excellent you know beverage that we can consider like top quality and we've got uh, a good buddy chris bala grand army bar hi jimmy And another special beverage person, uh, Mr. Chad Walsh of Ageron, the new fancy uh, Nordic restaurant in Grand Central. How's it going? So we got a lot to talk about. Ageron just got a three-star from the New York Times.
3: (laughs) Big relief. And, uh, you know, between
2: Damon and Chris, and we also have B. Arroyo from Shelton Brothers. We've got quite a panel of experts, and we're going to be talking more about, to to me, it's oddball drinks. You know, Ageron's got some meads. And, and we're talking about cherry wine. So for me, this was kind of out of left field, but I, I went to your website today, and I, I saw what you're doing, and, and, and I can see like the craft and, and the quality. So we're going to try to focus our, our show on that today. And BR, give us a quick intro of your friends and just tell us about their product and where they're from.
4: Well, they first came to our attention uh, through our through uh, Brewery. Uh, he has been doing a series, a spontaneal series, which is produced uh, from one hundred percent lambic uh, from traditional Belgian producers. We can't name which ones, um, but it is all brewed at traditional producers in Belgium. And then he ages it for between uh, one to three years, blends it, uh, and they all have different fruits in them. And the very first one in the series was uh, used the sour cherries that uh, that now they that we all. So we got the, the cherry wine from. So that's how we first came in, came into contact with them, and we felt that, you know, we, we don't just do beer. We do ciders. We do mead. We have some spirits. Um, and just this fit, we felt that it fit into our portfolio very well as a really unique beverage. And it also did have, as you say, a sense of place, a sense of terroir, which is this is only being made on this island in Denmark, and it's it's truly unique.
2: Great. So the guests are Anne Marie and Michael. Please say your names. Yeah, yeah Michael. Thank tell you. us where you're
5: from and everything. From from Denmark, from uh, Frederikstaden, uh, cherry wine. All right.
6: <laughs> Hello, great to be here. My name is Anne Marie, and I'm also uh, working uh, at Frederick State Estate, uh, where we are producing uh, a very special uh, ch- wine made from cherries, which is absolutely beyond comparison with anything else you have tried so far.
2: You know, I, I saw the video, and it's like. You're, you have trees. You have a farm. It's things that I like. It's like a, a product from mm-hmm. you know the orchards, exactly. and you know. So let's talk. Let, let's ask some questions because it's, it's a new product, and I don't really know anything about it. I mean, let's let's start with ch- Chad at Eber.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, t- I first tasted the wine actually in a construction site. BR was there uh, in Grand Central. I think we were wearing hard hats at least for part of it. Um, but um, I think we have to start by talking about Danish cherries because I mean I think a lot of people have this idea of what a cherry is, but when you see and you taste Danish cherries, I mean they look more like the tip of your pinky I mean and maybe you could talk about like what flavors are kind of unique in, in, in Danish cherries
7: I think typically like they have a much larger pit with very little skin and
5: pulp mm. right so the the, the, the the flavors are more concentrated yeah exactly yeah uh, as a matter of fact you can compare it to uh, if if we talk about regular grape wine uh, for instance Cabernet Sauvignon you know it's not it's not a grape that you would eat and that's basically the same thing with the, the Danish cherries sour cherries that we use to uh, to ferment this wine so there's a lot of comparisons when it comes to traditional wine and what we do to the, the cherry wine we basically we reinvented it so we were,
7: were, like cuz i've never I, i've never really experienced any kind of like other uses of these cherries were there any uses for the cherries in like culinary like like with food or were they how how were the cherries being used before the wine was being produced
6: There's a very old tradition for for sour cherries in Denmark. Uh, For many, many years, we have been uh, using the sour cherries for industrial purpose. Uh, We eat a lot of cherry sauce in Denmark around Christmas time and also in, in other areas where we have been eating these sour cherries for many years and they have also been used for producing wine for many years but not wine like we do it right now it was more like a liqueur very sweet uh, wine made from cherries and that's that is what is new uh, in what frederick stael is doing we are producing a a wine that is produced just just like you do a good red wine we are not just taking the 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 juice and sugar and an alcohol and add it and then have a liqueur no we're actually using the, the 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 yeast from the cherries together with a bit of sugar to to get the alcohol in our wine, and by the end of the day we have seven different types of wine. In Denmark uh, and in the area where we are, we have a very special terroir, and that is also what makes our wine very unique. Uh, sour cherries are basically being uh, grown in Denmark, a bit in the southern part of Sweden, and also a bit uh, in, in in the northern part of Germany. But especially in our area where we right now have 40 hectares, 16,000 trees uh, with these sour cherries, we are looking very much into what we are doing in the fields because it is in the fields that we are actually making sure that we can produce a good wine. Not in the winery because by the end of the day it is very important to have the good raw material. And by doing it the way we do right now, uh, as I said, we have seven different types of wine that has been maturing in various ways. Um, the first one you're trying here is what is it the name? Rancho. Oh, Rancho. Uh, I don't know, Michael. Will you explain a bit about? Sure,
5: that? sure. The one you uh, have in your glass right now is uh, basically it's our signature wine, uh, so to speak. This is uh, th- this is how it all started. You know, when we first started the fermenting uh, uh, the- these cherries, we we experienced that there's a high level of acidity, and we uh, looked. To other countries to see how did they manage to to get the acidity down. For instance, in grape wine production, in Benouls uh, in the Pyrenees uh, on the border between uh, France and Spain, they make this rancho type wine where they leave the wine outside under open sky, get exposed to sunlight and sub-zero temperatures. So basically, we adopted that, and that's what we do. We leave this wine outside um, for a full year. Uh, basically, what we do to this wine is what you shouldn't do to your own red wine. You know. Sub-zero temperatures, uh, oxidation, uh, big big 10-gallon balloons. We just leave it outside for a full year. And then after that, a full year on uh, cognac barrels, wooden barrels from cognac. Wow, it's
7: really incredible. It actually, like on the nose, it's got kind of like a pedro Jimenez sherry like you know very rich and kind of like a little bit of oxidation yeah, exactly like it's, it's really it's really incredible
3: i think what was what was really cool was that, that this was made in a in a way that we associate with like fine uh, you know french dessert or sweeter style wines and mm-hmm. and i think in the us we tend to associate fruit wine that isn't made from grapes with like a much more simplistic style mm-hmm. and I think we've all had like bad experiences where you're at like a country winery and they're like pull out this like blueberry wine or something and it is just mm-hmm. not this is just some, such a completely different product um, in that way
2: well, let's talk about the history because we're talking about Beretus. of these unusual like ports sherries and, and bonules you know there, there's a flavor a complexity that is yeah it's not a fruit wine I mean, and Chad.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to the technique. I mean, I mean, Maury in France is is very similar too, where where you're you're aging the wine in kind of a unique way. Down there, it's because you have these Grenache grapes grown on these very steep hills, just like battered by the the wind coming off the Mediterranean. So they have this like super tannic profile. Mm-hmm. And if if you don't put it in the glass demijohns outside to sort of soften the tannin, um, you would just it would be kind of undrinkable. And so. Um, I think that this wine, it because of that development that it gets in the in the aging process, and then because of the inherent complexity of the cherries, it just be, ends up. I mean, we serve it as a pairing on a pretty unique dessert, um, which is a chocolate ganache with eggplant. Um, the eggplants, like both caramelized and crispy, and then there's a purple basil granite over top. I mean, and so you have you know such a, a unique set of flavors on that dish, and it, y- y- they're they they're, they're complementary um, without being without being too contrasting, you know.
2: I mean, tell us, how do you, you know, what mature it so the, the, the tannins soften? I mean, I saw a photo of McKellar. Uh, it's on our Instagram now, Beer Sessions Radio. McKellar standing in these, all these giant glass, you know, little... Tell us what that process is and, and what those are.
5: Those are actually the rancho balloons that we leave outside for a full year and uh, th- this is basically how it started when we first started making this wine uh, we-, we adapted this uh, Bagnols uh, uh, process only we did it in-, in greenhouses because we thought that the Danish uh, temperatures the, the cold winters, would be too rough for the wine but it turns out that it's actually uh, uh, working pretty well in Denmark because we have the long light uh, uh, bright hours uh, during the summertime and, and rough uh, winter temperatures so it's uh, we think, we're not sure about it, but we think we're one of the biggest rancho producers in uh, Europe right now.
2: Wow. So, so talk us through wh- what that is. So how do you ferment it, and then what are these ranchos? Uh,
6: well, <clears throat> right now, or by the end of, of August, we pick all the cherries, and uh, the first couple of days we let, let them uh, ferment spontaneously in our fermented tanks. And after three days, we start pressing uh, the whole berries or the whole cherries, uh, in our press and with with the juice that we then not have it starts due to the fact that we have now been uh, working on this for 10 years we have our own yeast production in our winery so we don't add any uh, artificial uh, yeast to our production it is the natural yeast from the berries together with a bit of sugar that we start the, the fermentation of the wines, and after a couple of months, we, we managed to get it around 14 percentage in alcohol. Uh, producing uh, alcohol in cherries, you actually have to use a lot extra sh- uh, sugar as well because they, they eat they eat a lot of uh, to get to get to the alcohol percentage. Uh, after half a year in our, our steel tanks, we then have some wines that are bottled. After a year, that is our, our vintage. But all the other wines are then matured from half a year to three years. Our reserve uh, is three years in in, in our barriques. Uh, we use uh, barriques that have previously been used for uh, red wine, uh, but we also have some new ones in between. Um, and then, of course, there's the rancho, that when we are managed to get it on 14% in alcohol, it stands. Rancho actually means uh, uh, uh acids uh, ran, uh, acids uh, in, in, in Spanish uh, but it has nothing to do with the taste or anything in the wine but but uh, actually after the year outside we get it into the cognac barrels and uh, one year or one and a half year more. In those ones, and then we have an an excellent product, uh, the ranchu.
0: Yeah,
3: it's it's like one of those words that I've heard a lot of different etymological analysis of, like what it really means. But to me, in in the beverage context, it's like it's like that unknown quantity that adds this like extra complexity um, Mm -hmm. of like earthiness, or you know, you get it in scotch or brandy or you know, other Mm -hmm. things. That that, That That little bit of brandy.
6: What is? What is? What is? What is unique here is also that the three guys who owns this winery, they actually uh, have a passion. One was an entrepreneur who actually wanted to invent something new. The other guy was, uh, uh, or he is still a journalist um, in our national uh, radio programs, but he also uh, has a passion for wine and has been working on wine farms in France. And the last one is a very famous chef in Denmark, Jan Fries Megelsen, who was actually one of the guys who invented the whole new Nordic kitchen uh, movement in Denmark.
3: So and Jens, and, Jens and the owner of Eger and Klaus are very close friends. And so when we tasted with BR, it was kind of like, I'm going to kind of have to buy this wine no matter what. But um, I was so excited when we pulled the cork because it was actually like, really amazing and delicious and sort of fit into what we were about at Eger. And I could see using it in a culinary context. And I think when you hear... Cherry wine from Denmark that you have to carry because it's made by a chef's friend. Uh, you, you're, you're a little, you're a little like anxious to pull that first quick, but, uh, but we did it's it. It's not really
2: th- cherry wine, then. Like, how do you sell it, Bjorn? Because I want to ask, I want to ask the boys from Grand Army. Well, I mean, that's we always have to preface this
4: as it's not a sweet like cherry hearing. It's not a liqueur. It's a wine made from cherries. Um, but the fact that you know, putting this through our beer channels. Um, it's actually a fairly easy sell in terms of, aside from the price. Um, we, we're we able to say, look, this is made spontaneously from, you know, it's spontaneous fermentation, whether it's the juice that's been sitting out or for some of the products, it's the cherries themselves that sit out for a day. Yeah, but also,
7: um, like, the just the yield alone, like, like what I pointed out earlier, you know, like, the, there's very little, like, with these wild cherries, you know, it's like there's, the, the pit is the so pit big is, yeah, and then there's very the little flesh. Flush. So it takes tons. I mean, like, like Hans Riesbauer makes his Wild Cherry de V mm. and there's a reason why that 375-milliliter bottle costs so much, because it takes so many of these mm. to make this Especially product. When you're making out of V. Especially when you're making an Yeah. So th- but, I mean, like.
4: But we've definitely gotten good reception. You know, this is it's the type of flavors that with the beers that we import and the beers that we sell, uh, people are, are accustomed to something different, and it just fits right in, and it's a g- very good reception to it.
2: That's great, and then the name is actually Frederick's Dahl Vine. Excellent. You're <laughs> <laughs> coaching me in the Danish. All right, we're gonna take a short break. We're we'll back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Ow.
1: L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry.
2: Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio. We're talking in Danish. We're drinking uh, this Kirsa Beeravin. It's the—it's actually a fortified wine made from cherries. And we didn't say that up front. And now I'm now that I'm tasting it. Yeah, it's like Banduls, but Madeira. Yeah, port. it's
7: definitely it's it's not like anything that you'd really ever taste out there. Like you mentioned cherry hearing before. It's I think like you have to really completely, you know just wipe off I the, think you the, take the, cherry the out of it and you and, yeah. just
2: use the Danish words you know Curious yeah because right? it's it's, 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 it's
3: rich
7: and acidic at the same time well and like, I think you know,
3: it's really cool too that they're they're fortifying I mean there's a lot of great fortified wine out there made with sort of um, anonymous um, fortification brandy and this is cherry brandy that they make on the estate and they use that yeah. to, to, to sort of you know to to fortify the wine and I, I think that that adds like another level of complexity and going back to the rancio like you know i think that there's like another uh, no, I, layer I, I have a of aromatic for there.
2: this i don't know, if you know Fortify wine is one of my weaknesses <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i want to refill this next one this is one of my favorites uh,
3: this is the one we work with at ager and it's the it's the reserve which is blended from a few different sort of vintages of cherry i guess you could say but you, you yeah. can speak more to exactly um, this one's finished in cognac.
6: No, but, no, the red the wine. The servers have uh, been maturing for a minimum three years in our barriques and uh, oak barrels, and uh, by, by doing this, we get a very dry wine. And so, basically, what is used for is tapas pâté, foie gras, which is completely also a new idea for for, for the Danish population because mm-hmm. previously, as you said, they, uh, when you said cherry wine, they thought dessert, but right now where we are the only one in the world producing a wine of ch- made from cherries, the way we do it here we can actually manage to uh, give a completely new taste into the cherry wine so mm-hmm. they can be dried. you tasted the show that it's more like mm-hmm. a port wine uh, and that is what we're introducing now in Europe and also here in the United States. Uh, and uh, and we can see, especially in the restaurants now, that they are really looking into how to experiment and introduce a new taste to their customers and guests, uh, trying to, to uh, see how they uh, react to this new taste. So the reserve is also used for duck and, and geese and all all different types of meat, mm. and that is very interesting. Yeah, I like
2: that. I saw on your on your website... Mm. That you have a a gastronomy section, you have things that you cook with it. There was a cherry wine glaze venison, and you had a a beetroot dessert. But also, also for cocktails. I mean, I noticed you had some things like the Frederick style fizz and the the Nordic bramble. And I don't
7: know, you guys like yeah, especially with this the second one that we're tasting. I mean, it's it's got it's. It's more than just cherry. Like, for for a bramble, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. You know, like, it's got, like, darker berry fruit to it, but it's got the... I keep going back to this acidity. I I really want to... Like, my first instinct outside of a bramble is to use it like a fortified wine and replace like a vermouth you know with exactly. with this you know like just like kind of start easy and classic and then really go weird you know I, don't, I want to get weird with this <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, and I want you to think about that I want you to tell us what your what your drink would be if you had to make one tonight are You're that kind of bartender day Where I can say Hey man I like You know The the Kier's of Beer Vine And uh, you know Something else What should I have Dude honestly Tasting it
7: right now And it's not just because I'm a, a huge uh, Fan of root beer But like Like What do you think I mean like yeah. Like tasting it's like I kind of want to have Like that Like sarsaparilla suspar- Kind of like vanilla like, <laughs> I know like, we love it Because it's got the acidity it. In there In, in the, the fruit But it's like But it's it's not sweet, like to give it like a like like in a cocktail I kinda wanna like take it like cool it like throw some things like the in there and cinnamon and like vanilla, you know, and like make it kind of like 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 can I keep an a cool, earthy vibe with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but even taking those those flavors
3: and putting them into something, you know, more in the Manhattan kind of fold too. If like sure. you use sarsaparilla bitters or something, and like you know, a good rye whiskey with this. I mean, I'm not, I I'm not overthinking yeah. the like cherries in Manhattan thing. What I'm,
7: I'm cr-
2: gonna... <laughs> Chris Ball. Oh yeah. Well, you know what? I didn't even think about that. It's
7: like, but it is it is very true. Like, obviously, it's garnished with cherry. But like, but it it's but this is different. You know, yeah. this 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 to me, like when when I'm tasting this, it doesn't it doesn't like if I were blind tasting this, like the The first thing that I would go for would probably not be cherries, which is really interesting
2: about it. I mean, cherries have a bad name. You know, it's like whether it's a a bad Maraschino cherry or. Cherry
7: Garcia? Even, even, yeah.
2: (laughs) Or even a a, a Kirsch or something, you know, unless it's really good. You know, I don't usually think that well. But but creeks are great too, Lambert Creeks too. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I
3: think that, like, one of the things that uh, we talked about with with Harold and and one of the reasons that Jens, um, I think, is, is part of this project is because. Um, you know, Denmark had to sort of rediscover its cuisine a little bit. And that's, you know, mm. you call it the New Nordic Kitchen, and, and, and sometimes we call it the New Nordic Manifesto, because it's really what it's this, it's this the bunch of chefs lock themselves in a room to try to figure out what was Nordic cuisine. And, mm. you know, Klaus, who, who owns Egern and, you know, founder of Noma and all these things, you know, he, he started his career importing French products into Denmark. And, and even Chef Gunnar, who's from Iceland, uh, the chef at Egern, you know, his restaurants were always about serving foie gras and truffles and caviar. And then the recession happened, and he had to sort of come up with a, a new sort of vocabulary, a new culinary vocabulary, which wasn't just throwing expensive French stuff on it. And so for Klaus, it was finding apple vinegar and, and, and working with the, uh, uh, an orchard to, to make his own vinegar because, you know, that was the first step. But, you know, creating kind of a, a, a wine culture in Denmark is, I think, kind of a, it's a cool thing. I mean, it's, it's not something that, that sort of existed before in this in this way.
2: Quick one that Chris Bala
8: yes yes sir you 're tasting these oh, they 're wonderful
2: fortified wines
8: i don 't want to get away so much from that beautiful tapestry of Danish cuisine and history and all that, but I think it 's really interesting that you know it 's a new very new product. Uh, the flavor profile is... It's really hard to describe to people listening to this what we're tasting because I think when I first heard that... Yeah, they should just go get it. They should, yeah.
3: <laughs> as the, that's the sales pitch. But, uh, we're in Grand Central Terminal. Yeah, come in the Vanderbilt, Agern. 42nd Street Entrance. Um, is,
2: is there any place that sells this besides Agarn in Grand Central Station, New York City?
4: Um, I'd have to... I'm like, I'd go my, get my sales report. I know Aquavit uh, uh, is doing... Uh, takes this in. We've got... Um, we have a few wine shops that are starting to bring it in. Uh, it's now I'm, I'm completely blanking. This is I should have printed out the list. We I mean, I'm, on the spot, I'm
8: definitely planning on bringing this into Grand Army too for uh, some. White
4: Hotel fun. is using it both for cocktails and for pouring. Um, I apologize. I- <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll come back with you and
2: It's cool you let's, let's go back to you guys So you guys yeah. Where you are You're on an island In Denmark
5: Yeah exactly Tell us well, about well, The place you're uh, from uh, Just to follow up On uh, what uh, Chad was just uh, Talking about With uh, uh, We're reinventing The Danish cuisine The Danish kitchen uh, because uh, the the island of Lolland, where we uh, where we where you find the estate, the Frederiksstaden estate, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's uh, it's one of the hottest places in in uh, Denmark, and actually there's no place in Europe where these uh, Danish uh, stones cherries they uh, they uh, have better growing conditions than along the coastline in southern Denmark and northern Germany, which is where we're situated. So, so were that, the, that's what we should be doing in the future. And were the
2: cherries already growing, or, or did? You know yeah. the owners decide
5: the planting. Yes. Land. No. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this year is our tenth anniversary. In 2006, uh, Harold, who owns the estate, uh, he already had the the orchards uh, with cherries, and it was uh, used for fruit food production. No, not yeah, wine production. He was saying he sent most of them to Poland. I think exactly. like Pol- Polish
3: cherries exactly. are, are you know kind of more what we associate with American cherries they are super sweet, and mm-hmm. they make a lot of juice from them. Mm-hmm. But that the Danish cherries kind of added that. You know that extra quality, tannin, yeah, the tannin, 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 tannin and acid to balance out the
5: fruit juice, and, and yeah. but that yeah. wasn't like a viable kind of economic. Choice no, well, exactly, anymore. exactly, exactly. So he he met he met Morten, uh and Jan, uh, and they decided why not let, let's try and ferment the the cherries and see if we can make wine, regular wine based on cherries, and here we are ten years after and. Uh, sitting here with you fun guys and <laughs> drinking dairy wine from from lola but it, it's interesting you're you're
2: at you know you're kind of above the wine strip you're in these northern climates
5: yeah exactly but is there
2: anyone else doing what you're doing?
5: Not, not yet. Yeah. Hopefully, in the future, more more will uh, come, and and uh, you know, the more the better. Uh, we yeah. we we would like some competition in Denmark. Maybe we could brand ourselves as a, uh, a as a different kind of uh, agricultural con- country than we've been branding ourselves the past generations. I mean, yeah, because typically it's
7: it's a lot of like root
5: vegetables and yeah, exactly. and, 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 exactly. and like fish, and yeah. like salted, you know, like
7: it's it's. Yeah. What was what was the name of the place? It was like close to Jimmy's. Uh, like back in the day now it's a barbecue place. It's in Lower East Side. Katie Stipe used to work there. Uh, Quilties? No. no, it was no, uh, I, I it was uh,
4: it's the, the one where the barbecue
7: was Yeah, Van Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Philip Kirsch and
2: Clark. Yeah,
7: yeah. Philip KC. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, they it was that was the first time I'd ever had any kind of like Nordic Scandinavian like it, it, from that region uh, like any kind of fair that was kind of like pulling itself out of the traditional, like, and there was all kinds of aquavit, and like, Katie was doing like cool things with like, she was doing like a carrot and like tarragon, I think it was like, oda and like all kinds of stuff. So it was cool to see that there was actually this forward thinking uh, with with chefs and, and bartenders in New York City and yeah. in the world. And now, like, what you were just saying, you know, like you're kind of extracting.
2: Like, you know, Ch- some, Chad and I were talking earlier too. He was talking about. How You guys are actually really at the forefront. We said, oh, I know a restaurant that was trying to do smorgasbord and traditional Danish food, but there wasn't really the interest in that.
3: It's so funny because, like, the Nordic cuisine, to me, in in a way, like, inherited kind of where, like, um, sort of the Spanish molecular gastronomy kind of left off. Um, And and I, I think the Nordic cuisine picked up that banner of being sort of, the sort of most um, au courant or whatever you want to say uh, the coolest sort of uh, culinary tradition um, and it, and it's so funny because it's sort of a new one that was sort of recreated in the early 2000s um, and uh, some people had tried to sort of bring it to New York but I, I think that it, it's it's been really fun to be a part of it and obviously Aquavit you mentioned has, has been there forever um, but it's been uh, I, was, I was super excited to get to participate in sort of you know and, and help out somebody who's been really uh, integral in the in the sort of genesis of that cuisine, to, to to sort of bring it to New York, and um, the reception's been amazing. I mean, I, I was saying it, 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 there are a lot of Scandinavians in New York. Like you had no idea how many Danish people there are in New York until you open a restaurant owned by a Dane. And they're also funny. They all want to come take selfies. Like in the, they'll just they'll walk in. You'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't open until 5:30. And they're like, don't worry, we're Danish. And then they just take a bunch of pictures, and then they go on. And it's and then there, it's, it's it's such a sweet kind of like um, self-supporting culture, I guess you could say, where if it's like if it's Danish. They really want to, like, support the Danes. Um, and, it, and it's true of, of, of Scandinavia in a, in a broader sense. But uh, the, the, the sort of most exciting reaction, I think, has been from, you know, really hardcore New Yorkers who, who eat Italian food or, or French food four or five nights out of the week and are saying, oh, I can't get this in L.A. or I can't get this in so San the, Francisco. the dish that
2: sounds the weirdest in the New York Times three-star review of Agron, it was about some kind of, like, root.
3: Yeah. Burnt, or yeah. something. Yes, a uh, uh, beetroot and salt crust. But uh, but you know, in, in going with the sort of Nordic manifesto and all that, we try to waste as little as possible. Um, so like we take our leftover meat and we make vinegar out of it, and we um, all of our vegetable scraps um, we incinerate um, and to create the sort of vegetable ash, and they bind it with egg whites and um, sea salt, and then bake the beetroot in it. Which um, you know, Grand Central is kind of limiting in terms of open flames and that sort of stuff and you know we can't cook with lava which Gunnar was talking about at one point point. Um, <laughs> and I was like I don't know how that um, but anyway uh, it, it gives this great kind of roasted quality even though we're just roasting in the oven it has this sort of sense of being cooked over an open flame um, and and uh, uh, yeah, it's become kind of kind of our our, our thing. We do it we do it tableside, so you get to it's like this little dinosaur egg that comes out and crack it open, and there's this beautiful roasted beet inside. You get the aromatics. and Man, you guys, how
2: do you feel about you know Danish food in America, or do you, do you, do you care about Danish food at all? You know, <laughs> <laughs>
5: that, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. um, well, of course we we are we're happy that uh, you know the whole new Nordic uh, thing is picking up uh, abroad not only in the States, but also in, in the Far East. and uh, We're definitely on to something, and we, sh- we should re- do more to, to, uh, to brand ourselves that way.
6: And uh, one thing we shouldn't forget in all this is also that th- this is another way of t- introducing how to do farming in Denmark. Uh, previously, you have been focusing very much on high yields, uh, but right, what we're doing here and what Klaus is also doing is in, in his kitchen movement is actually looking into quality. So what also Father Excel is introducing in the Danish world is actually looking in a completely different way on doing farming in Denmark, focusing on doing a high quality product, not focusing on high yields, but doing it if if we were harvesting and looking at high yields we could have perhaps 40 kilos per tree but now we are looking into doing the absolute best wine made from cherries and we are down having perhaps 13 kilos kilos on average on a tree because we want them to be as dry as possible focusing very much on the quality instead making sure that we have the whole story it's our own raw material it's on our own produced on in our own oceans even our alcohol now is also distilled now With we are distilling one of our wines so it's our own alcohol we're using for some of our products that is a completely new idea and introduction also in the Danish scene in Denmark in the farming industry and that is also an important point in explaining about what Folexdale is doing and another thing is also that we have been introducing a new trend 40 years ago a lot of people were drinking cherry wine in denmark but then there was a period of 20 30 years where nobody were drinking f- f- wine made from fruit it was not trendy it was not hyped but right now the last five years now it's suddenly uh, very popular to drink wine made from cherries or fruit wine in denmark again which is i would say also partly uh, because Frederik has been produ- introducing a completely new product made from cherries with an excellent taste. Uh, so that's a new thing also in Denmark, and that's what we are trying now to convince the rest of the world to uh, cool. <laughs> keep follow on.
2: Drink the cares of beer, Vin. Do, um,
7: do you find then... With the the recent resurgence of uh, the quality of agriculture in in Denmark, and with the production of these wines and like in farming, like you were just talking about, do you find because like something we talk about a lot on Heritage Radio Network with throughout all the shows is with our culinary movement that like the Renaissance has started about 25-30 years ago here, and then like eventually like trickled to the wine and beer and then cocktail movement and spirits production. Um, there are a lot of there's a lot of younger people who become more interested in agriculture and farming and like sustainable resources. Do you, are you seeing, uh, a- Kind of a resurgence like that in Denmark. Are you seeing a lot of people like like younger interest in actually farming and producing these products?
6: Yes, for sure we do. We have the last couple of years had a festival also on Frederiksstal for fruit wine producers, and the last ten years there has been a growing an increase in companies looking into this cider fruit wine. So today in Denmark we have around 20-30 companies actually trying to produce uh, good wine made from fruit, which is a completely new development. And luckily also the new uh, the, the restaurants in Denmark are really keen on introducing these. So now we also, you're able to get cider, uh, apple cider together with your uh, prawns uh, in a good restaurant in, in Copenhagen and that's a completely new movement. So we have the local, bi-local, uh, organic has been a big thing in Denmark for many years, but now it's also focusing very much on uh, good quality, very good quality.
2: That's great, man. We're off to a great start. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. yeah. Woo. Ah. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, just checking in, org. Check it out. Be a member. Also, uh, there's a special event on October 14th and 15th at Lexington Armory uh, on uh, Manhattan. It's the Fall New York City Craft Beer Festival. 150-plus beers, ciders, and meads. So check it out, newyorkcitycraftbeerfest.com. All right. So we're talking with these great makers of the cherry fortified cherry wine from Denmark. Here with B.R. Royer from Sheldon Brothers and some other experts. Uh, so let's, we're going to do a round of questions now. We've, we've kind of like set the stage. Chris baller from Grand Army. Bar. Mm-hmm. Uh,
8: well, I thought the most interesting thing with this product is that it's bring, being brought to the United States uh, via a beer distributor and also being kind of announced to the world mostly because of Mickle's involvement with... The producer, not to discredit anything you guys are doing, but I think it's it's very important that somebody b- very big in the craft beer industry is talking about this native product that has nothing to do with beer at all in Denmark. And uh, I mean, it's it's not really a question at all, but more of a just a fascinating point of it to me is that you know the use of the power of craft beer and the exploding industry um, and to announce these other products that are so important and. Um, I mean I guess my question is how, how do you feel about that but I think it's a great personally I feel like it's a great thing but uh
5: well it, that that's interesting because you know the connection between beer and and cherry wine uh, we were talking about the the appeal when it comes to young people and uh, I think when it comes to Megala and, and other small breweries, uh, when you compare them to the big breweries, uh, both here in the United States and we have some big breweries in Denmark as, as well,
8: Obviously, there, yeah.
5: there's, a new, there's a new movement of, of young people uh, um, uh, who, who obviously uh, are into this whole microbrewery thing, and I think it's the same thing with the the cherry wine. You know, they they're not familiar with the reputation, so to speak, that that cherry wine uh, used to have, and they don't care. They they just. Acknowledge the fact that we are making a high quality product. I want to
2: say about how how changing. You know what's trendy. Hmm? You know, for us with with, with this show and and working with Shelton Brothers for years, McKellar was that name. Oh my God, McKellar, that guy's a god. His his beers are Hmm. so good. And I posted today a photo of McKellar standing in the middle of your Rancho, you know, little bottles. Yeah, yeah. And someone said, "Who is that, Mike?" Color guy. <laughs> so, you know, if you may not know who McCuller is, you know, he's one of these Danish guys that kind of broke open into the States and, and it was pretty trendy, but.
4: Well, and, and that's actually why Anne-Marie and Michael are here this week is that, uh, Friday evening and Saturday is the first edition of the Copenhagen beer celebration in Boston. Uh, Mickle has been putting this on in Copenhagen, I believe the f- four, four or five years. And it's very similar little plug to our festival, which uh, moves around the country every year this year in Louisville last weekend uh, of October. Uh, where Damon's interested.
2: He wants to go. I, I do, too. Uh, I, get, I get passes, man. <laughs> Copenhagen but, Beer but, Celebration. Uh, but
4: it's where, you know, it, the, at, at the Copenhagen Beer Celebration, the celebration, same as our festival, uh, the brewers are actually there pouring their product. It's not like you've just got some sales rep or volunteer being like, I don't know. Here's It's an IPA. Uh, and the brewers are also bringing a lot of special beers. Um, so this is very interesting. And when I was in Copenhagen in May for uh, this year's edition, um, uh, Anne-Marie was there pouring the wines. And, you know, there were people there. there. They were having their agosa at one's place, and they were having, you know, an imperial IPA somewhere else. They were having, you know, an, a stout, and then they were going over and trying the cherry wines. And there was always a line, always a line to try them. It wasn't that they were just standing there being the odd man out at a beer festival. People were really into it.
5: So you guys must
2: you must be looking forward to that festival. It's this weekend in
5: Boston. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it uh, turned out to be a huge success in uh, Copenhagen. Uh, although it was a, a beer festival so uh, yeah we were very excited about participating in uh, in the boston edition of uh, of Copenhagen beer celebration you know,
2: my question is is about your product is is how you serve it like in in a in a restaurant or a tasting set. because the first one we had was like more like a fortified wine like a banyuls and the next one is very dry but then I, we went to the sweeter one and now I'm going back to the dry But it, there's, the contrasts are really you know, pronounced and, and I find like my palate has to adjust so it's hard to go from one to the other than back mm. so how do you guys maybe in some of your restaurants how, how do you work with these kind of products that are they're stronger they can be well, sweeter we, we, don't,
3: we don't do this at the restaurant but um, BR had some uh, Berliner Weiss here from McKellar then I just added some of the uh, cherry wine to it I gotta say that's a delicious little hybrid but um, we typically serve it um, just as we were if we were serving an Amazing sauterne or something like that, We're, um in a in a dessert wine, you know, which is a nice riedel flute glass, um, and and we present it as is, um, and the fact that the reserve is kind of dry actually works um, really well with our desserts. They're a little bit off the beaten track, um, but we have a rabbit dish on where they made like a really beautiful valentine of the different parts of the rabbit, and there's like there's some of the rabbit organs, the kidneys, the liver, and those flavors are really, really strong. And they actually appreciate, um, the stronger, stronger
7: wine. It's, yeah, absolutely. it's maybe, like something gamier, like yeah. with more flavor. Like, like, I mean, I, I went straight for like, for you yeah. know, like that totally kind of yeah. like, it, you know, country pate, like anything
3: like Rich that, I thumpy. think is like really, yeah. really beautiful. And so we love to show it, serve it on our own, but I can also imagine it, like on that as a, like a topper for like a New York sour or something like, a uh, you know, giving That's that sort call. of the get kind of aromatics that you would use, you know, almost, it's less about the actual f- integration of the drinks, but getting that beautiful scent on top of, like, some crushed ice as you're about to enjoy it.
8: I can't, the almond flavor mm. in all of these wines is so significant, I can't reiterate that enough. It's, like, it's you're pretty wild. It, it? Yeah, well, no, it, totally, <laughs> but, like, it's, it's, it's pretty wild, because there's so much pit <clears throat> in the fruit to begin with that that flavor is so powerful but i think it's really nice
6: yeah because by the end of the day we're not crushing the 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 stones here we are we're making sure that we don't crush them so it's just because the cherries has been growing around uh, the stone uh, that we have Mm. this almond taste in in the wine
7: which leads me to my question <laughs> so, are you, what are you doing with the pits and the stones? Like, are you are you? Do you have any plans of like maybe making something along the lines of like a like a maraschino liqueur? Like, you could do something. That, it's it's another process, but uh, like it, it could be really cool. I mean, just saying.
6: You're absolutely right, but uh, right, right now it's just going back as as fertilizer on the fields. Uh, the only thing where you could say we're using a bit of it is when we are producing our kiosh. Which is actually uh, distilled on the whole berries, uh, but that's basically it for the time being uh, right so now. So you do make
2: a kirsch. We
6: do mm. make a kirsch, oh, cool. mm. and it's quite special actually because uh, we get when we get the alcohol back we add on a bit of water, and it's a very special water because it's from Iskile, which is the fifth cleanest water in the world, (laughs) which we have in Denmark, uh, in in Jutland. So by the end of the day, we end up having a 43 percentage uh, kirsch, very dry, but like a digestive, like a grappa, it goes very well, and it's, it's. When
7: is that coming to
2: the United States market? Uh,
6: you have to ask. Ships. <laughs> ships and bras. All, all their water, all their water is, comes from a,
2: a Polynesian island on ships. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have such pure water in Denmark?
6: Wow. Good question. That's
5: a good question. That's you, Anne-Marie. <laughs> yeah, I thought it
2: was way. only no. Polynesian <laughs> islands that well, have bottled water.
6: But to get pa- uh, back to the point about Migler, yes, yes, it is a very interesting uh, way of doing a corporation, also for a winery, having a beer, a uh, Migler, uh, going around. Well, he has uh, our wine all over the world in his bars in, our, in a Dimijack. Uh, it's a special cuvée just made for Migler. Uh, and by the end of the day, it is special to introduce a cherry wine together with beer. But it has been one of our major success to do it that way, that we have like a a bit of a special angle on introducing a wine in in the scene, also here in the United States, together with a beer uh, manufacturer or in the bars, in his bars, and together with Shelton Brothers. But we get the focus because it is a special product, and uh, we think that by doing it that way around, instead of perhaps through a big uh, wine, uh, wine merchant, we get more focus.
3: So do I have time for one more question? Yes. Um, so it, it, one thing, that, you know, I work with a lot of wines from the East Coast um, as part of, like, our local uh, ethos. And,
2: Wait, and stop. This is an awesome panel of experts. <laughs> Everybody say your name and your affiliation before that.
8: <laughs> uh,
7: Chris Bala, Grand Army, Milan. Damon Bolte, uh, proprietor. Crane Army and host of the Speakeasy on Heritage the Radio. The voice
2: Network. of Heritage Radio.
4: <laughs> Br Rolia with Shelton Brothers Importers.
3: And, and Chad Walsh only at Agrain Restaurant in Grand Central. And Terminal. this guy's
2: asking a question. And uh,
3: what I'm what I'm what I'm <laughs> curious about is like we're seeing um, like warmer and warmer vintages upstate, and which, which has been great for quality. Um, and I'm just wondering if 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 you guys have seen climate change affecting. Um, your your output and your crops and if you've you know I, I know we're growing they're, they're growing wine at causes estate and and that sort of stuff and you know I, I just wanted if you could comment on like what's happening in terms of being warm in Denmark
5: as a matter of fact when it comes to climate change it's, uh, I, I think uh, I think that would be the grape wine producers in Denmark that are crossing their fingers to to hope for warmer weather in Denmark. As of right now, we have the perfect conditions for, for the Danish cherries. And, and as I said uh, previously, uh, we, we are in the warmest area of, uh, of Denmark. and. Uh, uh, it doesn't need to get any warmer. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, that that would be the the grape wine uh, producers, right? Uh, <laughs> you
2: no, know, it, it, it's great having you guys. I love what you said, Damon, about you know Harry's Root Network focused on that like, kind of like farm to glass and the, the agricultural connections of mm-hmm. drinks, and and it's only a, a little taste of well, what you guys. It's are cool doing it to
7: see what they're going to be. You know, like like you said over the last ten years, mm-hmm. what's happened, and exactly can we just see what what's going to happen next. You know.
2: That's great. Yep. Let's do a quick wrap-up. I know, I know, Chad, you have a, an event coming up.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to go foraging with us, um, on October 1st and again in the middle of November, um, the chefs and the crew from Agron are taking uh, people out uh, to go pick some herbs and go uh, mostly in northern New Jersey. We're going to go out there and get, get really wild. Um, we'll cook you lunch afterwards because you're going to be exhausted. Because it's actually a lot of work. You have to bend over and pick, pick stuff out of the ground, but it's super fun and super educational. And so, um, what, what are some
2: the- like ingredients that you might find on this trip? Oh
3: man, it's such crazy stuff. Like I was, you know, I learn I learn new ingredients every day. But you know, it's 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 a lot of these greens and and things that we would characterize as being like weeds. Um, and stone crop and, and uh, sorrel and all these things that we associate with, with Danish um, foraging but you can find them right here in, in, uh, in northern New Jersey and Connecticut and New York and it's, it's super fun um, so agernrestaurant.com you, can, uh, you can check it out there and
2: beer one more time the festival in Boston this weekend
4: this weekend the Copenhagen Beer Celebration it's Friday night and two sessions on Saturday and then our own festival is the last weekend of October in Louisville, So Kentucky. it's our boy
2: McKellar. It is. Brought his <laughs> Copenhagen Festival to he Boston. Is. He
4: just decided, why not? Why not bring it to the U.S.? I, have to say, I know
2: Justin Kennedy's going to be there, and I would say it's it's the festival I want to go to. So great shout out everybody. Yeah.
8: And uh, just wanted to announce we're doing a, another October Fest event at uh, Grand Army on October 1st and 2nd, uh, featuring a bunch of great things from Sheldon Brothers.
2: Uh, oh, yeah, like what? Uh,
8: well, some, some beautiful, fresh gravity casks of from German Franconia. lagers. Franconia. Yeah, Franconian some gravity I was yes. joking on the kegs. way
2: in that, that uh, these Danish folk are from Frederiksdal, and I thought yeah, it Fre- 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 was Frank- so. Franconia, Germany. That is the season but, for
4: our Franconian gravity kegs. Look yeah. at that. Jimmy, you're going
2: to have best, a couple the of The best those. beer right. you can taste Love and in then New what, York. Damon, what, what's here. up for you in fall, man?
7: speakies Well, actually, Jimmy, this Sunday, <laughs> Heritage Radio Network is going to be having our host party for the the break-open party for the fall season at La Piccio, La Piccio. which is uh, our buddy uh, Mr. Caponelli, who is also uh, a host on uh, Heritage Radio Network. It's his, his spot. Uh, we're going to be having our, our HRN... Party, right? That's it. This was going to be this, awesome it's on Sunday I think the 25th, right? You can right? check
2: that out too at yeah. Heritage Radio Network.com. Yeah. Another shout out to our buddies. There's the New York City Craft Beer Fest, October 14th, 15th. Let's check it out. Some beer experts like myself will be speaking there. So, hey, you got to check it out. All right. Thanks to our sponsors, Union Beer Distributors, who helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Anne Marie, right here. Michael. Nice you got to say your name thanks, one more yeah, time. Ma-
5: Michael from Denmark. <laughs> Thank you for having us. <laughs> Michael <huh>? from Denmark. <laughs>
2: Chad, Chris. Damon, my surprise guest, and B.R. Roya. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on TheHeritage.com. I know that Maggie Seiden has been uh, tweeting away. It's always worth checking out. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers again. Justin Kennedy, Maggie Seiden, our engineer, David Tattashore, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Ching, ching! All right, yeah, woo! Woo!